Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who shows up in these rooms. We thank you for being a God who is not far from us, but is close, who does incredible work of opening eyes. Lord, if we're here, you can do the work of chiseling out eyes and ears out of our granite heads, because if you don't do that, nothing gets in. Lord, inspire my words. Let them be full of your grace and truth and hope. Let them do the work that only you can do to transform, to change. Let there be less of me so there can be more of you. To your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Rise up and walk. Jesus stood up on Easter Sunday, got up out of the grave. The tomb was opened. The stone was rolled away and he walked out. And if that happened, everything is different. If that happened on Easter morning, 2,000-some years ago, the world is different. And we have to struggle then with that. I think every human on earth needs to answer the question of what happened on Easter Sunday. Last or two weeks ago, um, we talked about the Old Testament, how the Old Testament comes and all focuses in on this one life, this one man walking on the earth, teaching, living, doing miracles, raising people from the dead, going to the cross, dying, and resurrecting. Everything focused down to that. And because that happened, because that was true, out from that, everything changed. Out from that, the world transformed. The Holy Spirit was available to us. We're here now able to be together, forgiven, free of sin, shame, and death. And the world has transformed. So um, I drew for you a bow tie, right, with everything coming down into the cross and everything going out from the cross. But that event, the answer to that event changes everything. And so we hear today, we hear Jesus teaching his disciples. And this is before the resurrection. And Jesus is teaching them. And he says, I'm the way you know, to the Father. And Thomas, Gerald Thomas, who will later become Doubting Thomas, looks to Jesus and says, how are we supposed to know who you are and what's going on? We don't know the way. And he says, yeah, you do. If you've seen me, you know the way. I am the way. And then Philip opens his mouth. And sometimes you wonder if the disciples later like regret saying things because they're like, oh, if that was the answer, I should have said the question. And so Philip said to him, this is right after what we read, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? And you can know Philip going, I shouldn't have said anything. I should have let Thomas do the talking because he's doubting Thomas. And I'm just like, Philip. But he says something, right? And he's like, oh, what is the right answer? But we're grateful to Philip because Philip's question leads to this absolutely mind-blowing answer. And grace to Philip, fair to Philip. He sees like the top 10% of the iceberg. And what's going on under there is so much more. And the answer is so big. 
The answer is so powerful. The answer is so incredible that you would never guess. So grace to Philip. What's the answer that Jesus says? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Looking at a Jewish man who has grown up saying the God of the universe is so powerful that by his very words, he can speak creation into existence. By his very words, he can cause birds to fly and fish to swim. He can bring up a garden and create men and women. By his very words, he can do this. He brought Abraham out and Isaac and um, and. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob, and he went into Egypt, rescued them from Egypt, brought up King David and Solomon and the temple, and you're telling me that I see you, I see him. I see you, I see the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. I stand here, and you see me, and you see the God who created the world. You see the God who rescued Israel out of Egypt. I mean, it's mind-blowingly big. And in fact, it's so big that if someone on the street were to tell you, you see me, you see God, you would call 911 and you'd say, we have someone who needs some help, right? That's a big statement. But why is that not the case with Jesus? Because Jesus is going around healing the blind. Jesus is going around raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus ultimately goes to a cross and raises from the dead and in doing so verifies this statement. He's not just some wacky dude walking around, but in the resurrection proves that you see Jesus and you see the Father. So the things Jesus says then become very important. You'd almost see the disciples going like, okay, he rose from the dead, he's walking around, we're spending time with him, he's eating at our table, he barbecued by the lake shore, he ascended into heaven. What did he teach us? What were all those things he said? Because they're so important. Because he is the Father. And so what Matthew did then is Matthew took kind of the best hits of Jesus and combined them into the Sermon on the Mount. And we have the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus teaching all of these amazing things. And remember, when Jesus' voice is coming out of him, it's the same voice that rose up the mountains that we looked across the valley at. It's that kind of voice. It's that kind of power. So we go to the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read for you from this beautiful Sermon on the Mount because this is the God who, and everything changed. Um, This is, okay, there we go. This is the God whose voice is that powerful. So Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And we've heard this verse. If you've been in church, you've, you've heard one of the people leaving the 830 service said, oh, that was my confirmation verse. Ask, search, and not. And when we come into a sermon and we hear this, and we're talking about how powerful Jesus' voice is, and you see these things. Okay, so Jesus is teaching. He's teaching us to ask, and he's teaching us to search, and he's teaching us to knock. 
The sermon you want to hear, and to be honest with you, the sermon I want to give is let me tell you the five ways to ask God correctly, and he will give you what you want. And you're going, oh, it's a great day to show up to church. I'm sure glad I went to Ascension today. He's going to give me the five ways to ask God and write these down, right? And all of you are going, finally, Pastor Scott's word sermons are worth something. I get to hear the five ways to ask. And we want that because what do we want from God ultimately? We want to turn him into a vending machine. We want to turn God into the vending machine that if, if he's there, we can take our dollar bill, we can straighten it out correctly, we can put the dollar in right, and we can hit the button and out pops what we need. And we really wish God worked that way. Oh, if I just have the five ways to ask, if I just have the five ways to search, then I can be satisfied. But ultimately what's happening there, you are controlling and manipulating God. You are putting yourself above God, and we love legalism. We love finding ways that we can control God and do the right things, and then God will be happy. But that's not what Jesus gives us. What Jesus gives us, the one whose voice created the mountains, did something very different. He does one of his classics. This is one of his classics where he says, if you guys do that, how much more so? With God. So look what he does. Instead of telling you the five ways to ask, he says, Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Your friend asks for bread and you hand him a stone. Anyone? No, right? Someone you love asks for food and you give them a venomous insect. Anyone going once? Going, no, and this is what I love about Jesus too. As he goes and he looks at and he says, and you guys, you're all messed up and you even know how to give good gifts. If you who are evil know how to give gifts, how much more so does the God of the universe know how to give to you? So then, You can trust him in your asking, in your searching, and in your knocking. You can trust that when you knock, the one who is behind the door is for you and wants to do good for you. Not about finding the right order, the right way of asking, but about knowing the character of the giver. You see what Jesus does here is Jesus puts the center on God's character for us. That we have a God who went to the cross through the gates of hell, resurrected from death to be with us. That is his character. Why aren't you asking? Why aren't you searching? Why aren't you knocking? And I love the knocking imagery because... It's just so vivid to me of standing at a door 
And, you know, there's a wonderful human, a wonderful person behind it, ready to love you and give you so much. And you're standing there and you're just waiting, going, man, when are they going to answer the door? When am I going to be with that person? But yet you never knock on the door and the person's inside going, when are they going to show up? When are they going to be here? And there's just this like, just knock, just ask, just search, right? And Jesus is going, you know the person behind the door. He's ready to love you. He's ready to give. Look what he did already to be with you. Look at all that he has done. Start knocking. Now, you're going to get what you need, not what you want. Right? It's not the vending machine, but you know the character of the giver. So who are we then in this room listening to this sermon? We're askers. We're searchers. We're knockers. Why are we doing that? Because we boldly can do so knowing the character of the one who's giving. And this is where Jesus always goes. He always goes back to the character of God for us. That we have a God who pursued us through the darkest gates of hell so that he could be with you. So that he could open up this new life with you. Remember, the voice of God is the voice of the creator, the one who made everything, is in the power of this voice of Jesus. And then look at the next verse. And this is one that I would say even people who never step into church, they know this verse. In everything do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. But notice what is coming out of. And this is important. Now, my kids like to try to manipulate this verse and turn it into something different. And this is how they do it. Um, Isaac will punch hope. Hope will turn to me and will say, he is telling me he would like to be punched. (laughs) Because you only do unto others as they would have do unto you. So he's very clearly communicating to me, right? And that, and you can do this little game with this verse, and they don't have this concept yet, because this is a hard concept even for 41-year-olds, okay, the, the one that's standing in front of you. Because what Jesus is doing is he's reminding you of the character of the giver, right? The one who gives not stones or scorpions, but gives bread and fish. In light of the character of the giver, how are you going to do to others so that they do to you? In light of who God is, Isaac, and what he's done for you, how then do you turn to your sister, Hope, and show her kindness and compassion? See, that's a very different move. Because we can even take this, do unto others as you would do unto yourself, and turn it into a legalistic game that we play with ourselves. But what Jesus is always doing is saying, look at the compassion of God for us. And let that form who you are and what you're becoming. That kind of transformation. That starts always with God's first movement towards us. And his first movement is looking to connect with us. I want to take that thought. Do unto others and the people that God is forming in this room. A people who are formed by a God who went through the gates of hell to be in relationship with you. And I want that thought as I move into an issue that God has been bubbling up inside of me for the last year or so, and then really put a fine point on it in the last week or so. I'm going to read to you a quote, and this is from the Health and Human Services by the U.S. government. The issue 
includes a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, and a 50% risk of developing dementia for older adults. Additionally, it causes an increased risk of premature death by more than 60%. One in two people in America, they say, struggle with this. If you could take away that from someone you love, would you do so? Yes. I think all of us would. So what's filling in the blanks? And why are we talking about this in church? Why? The physical health consequences of poor or insufficient connection include a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, and a 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older adults. Additionally, lacking social connection increases risk of premature death by more than 60%. This is from the Health and Human Services of U.S. government. We have a God who went through hell to be with us. We look out at a world that one in two people are lonely. And that loneliness is increasing the risk of an early death of horrible diseases. We are the ones who know what it's like to have a God who would give everything to us. How can we, in light of what he's done for us, reach out to somebody next door, reach out to someone around us and say, come with me to church. We're seeing less people going to church. We're seeing less people going to clubs, joining things like the Kiwanis, Rotary Clubs. We're seeing less people getting involved in less things. Volunteerism is at its all-time low. People are not connecting enough, and it's impacting their health. And we have a God who did everything to connect to us, and then he looks to us and says, so do unto others as you would have done unto you. I want you to look around, and we have room in this sanctuary. There is room for other people to be with us. And we can say to them, and this is the best, the best way to evangelize. It's very simple. I will pick you up and let's go to church together and then I will buy you lunch afterwards. Not many people turn that one down. You choose where we're going to lunch and I'll pay. If one in two people you're meeting are lonely to the point it's impacting their health, how dare us not go and do something about this loneliness? The, this comes out of the U.S. Surgeon General, um, who is Vivek H. Murthy, and um, he has this quote. He just in the last week, the last couple of days, put out a loneliness survey, I'm sorry, a study on loneliness and trying to combat it in America. He says, given the significant health consequences of loneliness and isolation, we must prioritize building social connection the same way we have prioritized other critical public health issues, such as tobacco, obesity, and substance use disorders. Together, we can build a country that's healthier, more resilient, less lonely, and more connected. I think the answer to all of this is the local church. It's us being people who are willing to go out and say to somebody, if one in two people are lonely, hey, come with me. Let's just be together. 
We're having lunch after church. We're, we're playing pickleball after church. I want you to hear about a God who was willing to go through heaven and hell and all the way to the cross through the resurrection so he could be with you. Come on, let's just be together. I think the world can change. We have spots. We have availability. Let's be together. Let's challenge ourselves to see the world as a place that is desperately longing for connection, longing to be together. And then we have the God that says, do unto others as I would have do unto you, as they have do unto you. And you say, I would want to do that for my friend. I'd want someone to do it for me. I'd want someone to invite me in. Jesus went through hell to get to us and we're not willing to invite our neighbor? There has to be a pause there, right? And so I want you to, in particular, God is bringing somebody to mind right now, I believe. I don't know who for you. But there's a name, there's a person who's, who's bubbling up right now. And maybe you're going, yes, that's the person, or dear Lord, please let that not be the person who I'm supposed to do this for. But yes, that's probably the person that God's calling you to reach out to, to sit next to, to invite to, because they need to hear this message of grace and forgiveness and truth, because we have a country that's struggling with loneliness. Just last week, you know, I'm so grateful for um, Tim and Emily for being here and serving because we went to the um, to Catalina with a bunch of dads and our kids, and we had 29 of us out there, and Tommy and I were there, and a bunch of other dads, and we just had to spend time together. And part of my heart for doing that was I think in particular men are the worst at this. And so I think for us all guys here, like we need to be the next level of challenge to say, where is there a man you can connect to? Because he probably doesn't have friends. That's just probably true. And we need to be willing to say, hey, let's do something together. Let's be together. Because God has so mercifully accepted me. I want to be with you. So, let this just bump around in your brain. Let this continue to challenge who it is that you want to sit next to, who it is you want to invite. We are doing, we are doing services and we're doing food every Sunday this summer. You better bring one person to some time. It's too important. It's too important that they need to know that they're connected. They need to know that the connection starts with a God who's done everything to connect with them. Heavenly Father, um, you are the connecting one. You are the one who, who has gone through, through everything to connect with us. We don't deserve what you have done. We don't deserve the connection that you've brought into our lives because it's just like you said, we are evil. We mess up. Oh, we make mistakes. But Lord, you connect us. You drive us towards one another because of what you have done. So Lord, with this, these people here today, you've brought us to this room for a reason. No one is here accidentally. You told us, you brought us, you drove us, you were sitting here. We are the local church. We are the people who can battle this loneliness epidemic. 
We are the people who can tell others about a God who connects to them. Help us. Help us to be bold. Help us to be willing to make that phone call, send that text message, send that email, inviting someone to be together. Lord, we, loneliness is scary and sad. But you've called us to be a people of connection. Challenge us to do so.